Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel overchurched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. My name is Carlos. Uh, Good morning. Happy summer, Sunday. And I have a reading, which is going to be uh, the book of John, um, chapter 20, verses 15 through 23. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to Mary, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors, uh, when the doors of, uh, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and and stood among them and said, "Peace be with you." After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they had saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said these things, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Word of God. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm so delighted to see you. Uh, Welcome here at Urban Village Church Edgewater. Each month for the summer, we've been starting with a new spiritual practice before our sermon time, allowing us to try out some ancient prayers. In your bulletin this morning, you received a labyrinth inside. If you didn't get a bulletin, you need one for this spiritual practice. So raise your hand. Demetrius has got some. He'll bring it around to you. Uh, um, Just keep your hand, you know, you can rest it on your hip or do voguing, whatever, and uh, we'll bring something to you. So inside is a labyrinth. Labyrinths are ancient practices. We don't know which world religion started them. 
but we know that all world religions practice a prayerful labyrinth. Um, are we out? Almost. Okay. Maybe you'll share with your neighbor, too. Uh, this sermon's all about community, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, kind of. Uh, but the labyrinth. It is meant to look kind of like a maze, although it is not a maze. It's more like a pilgrimage. It represents the pilgrimage of our lives that we continue to web and weave throughout life. There are bends and curves. Demetrius has got more, so if you need to raise your hand again. Um, There is not a goal to reach. You are going towards the center, but that's not, it's not a competition about who gets there. It's more about the journey that you are on with God. And the way I like to practice labyrinths, there are many ways, but you uh, start at the entry point, taking a few deep breaths, and then as you exhale, you move along the labyrinth. And as you come to a bend in the curve, you take a deep inhale. And then with the exhale, continue moving, following the, the labyrinth. When you come to a bend, take another inhale. And with your exhale, move your finger. So stopping on the inhale at the curve and moving along the exhale, doing some mindful breathing, allowing God to be present with you on the journey. And you'll notice, uh, for some of us, this is a tiny piece of paper and our fingers are a little too big and you might get lost. Don't worry about it. Continue to move and travel. It is not about how fast you move or getting to the center before someone else, or not about shame and getting lost, but about moving. So we're going to take two minutes doing this together, deep breathing. So take a few deep breaths together, breathing in hope and breathing out fear, breathing in peace, breathing out violence. And breathing in joy and breathing out grief. Wherever you are in your breath, as you exhale, begin your journey along the labyrinth, the deep exhale.
wherever you are in your practice. Will you pray with me? God, you go along with us in the journey. Sometimes it feels like we are out of breath, like we won't make it to the next transition. And yet, God, you go with us. You have got us, as Sarah said, and you are in no hurry. You remain with us in those times of uncertainty and change. And so we ask that you continue to be with us. Help us to feel your presence as we breathe in and breathe out. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This is something for you to keep. You can take home. You can lose it. You can recycle it. But we'll keep trying labyrinths this month. Every week after worship, and by every week I mean for the last three weeks, four weeks, every week after worship, several of you join me huddled around a plastic table and leftover danishes to talk earnestly about the gospel according to John. We call this old school Sunday school, and it's not your regular old school Sunday school. This group of inquisitive folks, many of you, sit around and ask critical questions and imagine the motivations of the members of the biblical story. So while we're snacking and reading, the group wonders aloud about the gospel, of, gospel writer of John and why they felt compelled to share yet another account of Jesus's life uh, and stack it on the growing stack of accounts we have. And hint, the reason the writer wanted to clear was because the writer wanted to clear up some important theological points about Jesus's significance. In this class, we wonder, what does it mean that Jesus was the word of God from the beginning? Creation made flesh. What does it mean that Jesus was the true light that dispels all hatred and fear? What does it mean that Jesus was the Lamb of God who absorbs and absolves sin? This Sunday school class, which you are all cordially invited to attend, no membership required, they know we know that the gospel according to John regularly spoiler alerts the ending. It tells the story and the ending is, spoiler alert, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the one for whom the world has waited. All the signs point to the direction that this story is heading. After living a full life of teaching, forgiving, and healing, Jesus comes to the cross where he knows his life of truth-telling has led him, has led him to death. And so hanging on the cross with cracked lips and a hoarse voice because his throat was so dry, Jesus did not announce his death with defeat over death, but instead I imagine he whispered, it is finished. And people of God, this is the story of our faith. This is the cross we wear around our necks or pinned to our jackets. This is the symbol of our grief and tragedy and change, the frailness of life, the struggle of the human spirit. This is what it means to be Jesus' people. We are people who acknowledge that life is hard. We do not gloss over or ignore it or require that our fellow journey people move on quickly through their grief and say, it's all okay. We are people who regularly, yearly even, even weekly, acknowledge that in order to get to Easter Sunday, we must first experience the pain of Good Friday, the grief of Holy Saturday, 
For me, this is why I choose to be a Christian. It's because of this story of faith that acknowledges my real lived experience of grief that doesn't move me too quickly past it. And so Urban Village Church, you may or may not know, is uh, we are Urban Village Church Edgewater. We are the edgiest of all the Urban Village churches. But there are four other sites. One, we're kind of testing out, dating, seeing how we feel. At UVC, though, at all of these sites, expanding across the city of Chicago, hundreds of people gather. That collectively, we are hundreds to sing, to pass the peace, to break bread, and to seek following Jesus boldly in this faith life together. And part of this relationship between all of these hundreds of people is that we share in the reading of scripture together, the unpacking of it together. And so this week, we're all beginning a new sermon series, hearing sermons from different representatives at the same time, talking about the pulsing, ever life-changing, fluctuating life in our sermon series called Flux in life in transition. We Chicagoans cling to the last gasps of summer, don't we? We are reminded, we are fearful, tentatively shaking that change is approaching. I don't know about you, but when I walk into the stores and see the new seasons of school supplies and uniforms, I get a little nostalgic, but I also get a little fearful knowing that I'm gonna have to pull out that coat soon. Stores prepare for these new seasons. And if you're like me, you line up your bedside table with all of your beach reads you haven't gotten to yet that you had planned to way back in March. And you speed read by the lake before the water freezes over. ...of preparing for the transitions of life to come. And so our church calendar at UBC, we embrace that. We know in our sermon series, we are to reflect life experience. And so this morning, we acknowledge that transitions happen. This is the way of life. Transitions come. Transitions come with grief. We are a people who, as Sarah said, do not move quickly through life transitions. But like that labyrinth we practiced this morning, we stop and take a breath and bend at every curvature in our lives because, like Sarah said, God is not in a hurry. We learned from this, this beloved practice from our beloved Jesus. When his horrific death occurred, according to the gospel account, Mary, Jesus's mother, Mary Magdalene, other female disciples, and then this mysterious disciple, unnamed male disciple called the one whom Jesus loved, bore witness to Jesus's last dying breath. They viewed that strange transition of one person going from living to dead. Have you seen someone? go from living to dead, when the body quickly changes, the soft, pumping heart comes to a still and the oxygenlessness state of their skin shifts their coloring. They bore witness to Jesus's death. In the days following the burial, they have understandably not moved on, but remain shocked as they process their anguish. In this gospel account, it is this lingering anguish, the darkness of the early morning that Mary Magdalene approaches the tomb of Jesus. She first comes by herself. And it's been, we should notice, a week since the death. She is still in tears pouring down her face. Maybe she couldn't sleep because there was turmoil in her body. And so maybe she moves slowly and heavily, dragging her feet closer and closer 
being moved by her well of tears as the birds chirp and the animals start to stir and wake around her. The new life of a new day is yet to be actualized because the sun maybe hasn't even risen. We didn't read this part of the story this morning, but when she is stunned by the empty tomb and fearful of its meaning, she races back to the male disciples to tell them Jesus' body, they think, has been stolen. The men follow her to inspect and only to find that she's telling the truth. The shroud that preserved his body is the only thing left behind. Uh, and, but Jesus' stiff limbs, that body, no longer resembling his vivacious life, is gone. And I guess Mary, in her grief and shock, can't go back in the tomb. The fear of the unknown leaves her motionless and sputtering with tears outside the entrance and distracted by all this emotion because grief can be a heavy cloud that clouds our eyes. She sees what she thinks is a gardener tending to the tombs. The mistaken gardener speaks to her in Aramaic, gently inquiring about her public sadness And with the whisper of her name, all it is is a whisper of Mary. The clouds of her eyes are removed and dissipate. And she sees his face flush with life. And does she scream? Does she gasp? Whatever she does, she returns to her heart language, the language she has dreams in, the language in which she shares with this person And she says the intimate, oh, my dear teacher. Our Easter story, the one we tell every year as people dress up in their springtime bests, is actually a story of life transitions. It acknowledges a life lived and loved to the fullest does mean grief comes with it. The hard truth of our collective faith is that to risk love is to also risk grief. To risk hope is to also risk death. And so we acknowledge the transitions of our life with ritual and significance. Sometimes life transitions seem larger, more readily received. Maybe this is because they're covered by the media. Maybe it's because when we go to places, people talk about them. But this unfortunately means falsely that some grief is deemed more legitimate than other forms of grief, other forms of transition. It is appropriate to grieve when parents of migrant families in Mississippi this week were ripped away from their known existence, stunning their children with what looks like abandonment in their after-school programs. It is, or our collective memory of the profound gifts of People who narrate the untold stories of black existence die like Toni Morrison did this week, the Pulitzer Prize winner, author of 11 best-selling books. When people like that pass, the collective grief we feel is real. But because these pieces of collective grief receive attention from news coverage and commemorative tweets and memes and posts, they sometimes overshadow the grief of what I call everyday existence. The haunting that kind of lingers for days and months and even years. And and transitions um, don't have to be overhanging with grief to experience grief within them. No matter how joyous, 
Change means change, which means loss. Loss of homeostasis or normality of what was once known. Change of the unknown leads to a form of some minimal aspect, hint of grief. There is transition and grief in moving. Even if you're just moving down the street, even if you hired movers, there is change and grief. The transition from undiagnosed to a new diagnosis comes with grief. The anticipation of birth and then the sudden, sometimes scary shock of a lost pregnancy or failed implantation, that transition is grief, often silent grief. The transition from crouching in the closet to shining forth for all the world to see is still a change that can be met with grief if it is not celebrated. The transition from marriage to divorce, the stress of a new job, the stress of joblessness, the transitions, all of them are some type of form of death. Not to minimize death, but to say that we experience little deaths every once in a while. These are all the quieter, seemingly mundane transitions that don't always get acknowledged because they are not endlessly rehashed by pundits on TV or radio or podcasts. They are often the transitions that linger longer in our personal lives and often the ones we fail or refuse to acknowledge. Do you know some of the three biggest and most difficult life transitions and changes a person can go through? Statistically speaking, psychologists say that uh, a change of a job a change moving and getting married, and I would add having a baby, (laughs) is terrifying. I would also add the change of being your real self in front of people for the first time, whether it's sharing a piece of shame about yourself, whether it's sharing a piece of pride about yourself. That is a deep emotional change that comes with stress and also comes with grief. And transitions don't always mean we are free from grief. When a baby is born, mothers often suffer from postpartum depression, not because they are inadequate mothers, but because their bodies are going through this significant transition, surging of powerful hormones that drastically drop off and then resurge their grief is real because their life of of uninterrupted sleep and bodily autonomy are thrown to the winds, all of a sudden your body is consumed by this other thing, other person who is dependent upon it. And for a period of time, these mothers, their existence is not about their professional career. It's not even about enjoyed hobbies. It's not even about showers. Instead, they become human-like machines, pumping out nutrients every two hours. This life-giving force can also be a transition of grief, the transition of life sustainer to life giver, while incredible, is also shadowed with the grief of change, the fear that life will always be about late night tears and colic. (laughs) Life lived means life loved, means life risked for an unknown future. This is why in my times of doubt, I cling to my Christian faith because Christianity at least acknowledges that before the dawn of Easter hope, we are met with tears. Christian faith begins. The seed of our Christian faith is the fear of starting over when hope seems impossible. 
the seed of our Christian faith begins with the fear of starting over when hope seems impossible. Because for us Christians, grief is always connected to hope in some way. When Mary recognizes her dear teacher, he instructs her not to hold on to him. And the snarky, you know I'm snarky when I read the Bible, especially about Jesus. And the snarky Christian inside of me looks at it and says, what the heck, Jesus, she's crying. Get over yourself and give her a hug. But actually, if we read a little deeper and I tamp down my snarkiness, we realize this is not a rejection of her faith, but a foreshadowing. Jesus is preparing her for this another transition that is coming, his ascension. Ever discipling others, ever compassionate. Jesus is teaching her a new way forward in times of anxiety that are to come. Fear and grief and hope are to be found in the community of believers, in the arms of the faithful. Do not hold on to me, he instructs her. Go and seek the care from the living. So in grief, we seek out the pastoral presence of our fellow journey folk of faith. Did you know you are to be the pastoral presence? Pastor is not a moniker I wear, but it's something we all take on, the mantle we all carry. The transitions of life are not to be journeyed alone, but to be moved through in companionship because it is in companionship that we remember after the pause of grief, the sitting in the pit of despair for the appropriate amount of time, it requires someone else to hoist us up on their back so that we can climb up out of that pit at the time when help from those needs to come. The pangs of grief will turn to a dull ache. While the transition will not be fully complete until God gets everything God wants and redeems the whole world God created, the transition will not consume our thoughts forever because the presence of God is breathed on us, much like God breathes on those disciples. The breath of the Holy Spirit, the distant memory of God's breath created in Genesis 2, then becomes our collective breath that we breathe together. When Jesus appears... Mary clings to him, but he tells her, let him go. Instead, find solace in the community. For the frightened disciples who are huddled in that locked room, Jesus releases them from the grip of paralyzing emotion to act and empowers them with peace and freedom together. Because they are on the transition from leader to a leaderless creation, a new movement of micro-organized communities, not without struggle, but best done when they each sustain and guide each other by sending letters and telling, we did this and it didn't work, don't try that. The story of our collective faith is not that we are to move too quickly past our streaming tears of deep sadness, but that we are to hold each other, much like Sarah said, remind each other, God's got this. God's not in a hurry. The story of our faith is that hope sometimes seems more than we can handle. 
When we have spent time in the dark of Good Friday and the numbness of Holy Saturday, hope sometimes seems hard to see. The light of the world, meaning Jesus, looks a little dimmer in the distance, and we, but we never forget the discovery of the risen Christ. It occurred in the darkness. And the post-resurrection life is not to be done alone. This is why uh, people struggling with addiction or ones who use substances to numb the pains of emotion and trauma or just to get away from it all seek out other addicts, other mindfully sober people because the hope beyond what they can handle the, the need to survive the crashing waves of life happens together, happens when people gather and tell their honest truth, stories to one another, happens when they sit beside each other and say, text me, keep coming back. When we reach out, before we were even sad, when we text and say, I'm coming over or come on over, we are building those credits of the relationship before transition even happens so that we just normalize the experience of coming over of time spent together in joy so that when grief happens it's not weird just to say what are you doing this weekend this is what we are called to do as christians then the pain of grief and grief and hope will not last forever it is not too much for one person to handle we see it in the stories of others that that grief will not last forever, but turn into that dull ache. So transitions mean that our life, our normal, quote unquote, is forever changed. That life moves forward even when we, want, we don't want it to, when we want to stand still. And transition of our Easter faith is that God goes with us. The transition of Easter is that we are not alone but that God calls our name, calls us forth, and then sends us out to help others in their own transition. God, with the boon companions of our faith, with our squad of Jesus' people, helps us feel that life-feeling breath in and out next to us. So with God and these beloved people, we are guided out to the other side to live a post-resurrected life. Will you pray with me? God, you are not afraid of grief. You are not afraid of doubt or seemingly hopeless situations. You have sat in that pit of despair. You have witnessed that death. You have been present in the time of change. And so it is why in those transitions of life, even when we don't believe it, we can cry out, God, you've got this. It is why we can trust that you can bear our grief and our anger and our fear because you, God, have proved over and over again that you have got this. That you are in no hurry to move us past our emotions, but that you want to be present with us. So may we be a community for one another being present in these emotions, not moving each other too quickly, but being prepared to be fellow journey folk on the journey. And so, God, we offer our life of transitions up to you.
You are our God and we are your people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.